To another episode of Bobcast live here in the lounge. We're back in lounge A. The heat has subsided, the humidity is gone. Back here in the studio, uh, on the line tonight, we have uh, Mickey and the third member of Pocket Dial. Please welcome to the show Isaac Wendell. Hey, yo. So, fellas, yeah. you know, here we are at the end of season two of True Detective. Last night's Omega Station, the hour-and-a-half finale, came out, and uh, I, I got to say, right off the top, I wasn't impressed. In fact, I, I felt angry after it aired, and I, I was just despondent for the rest of the evening. I felt as if it was a huge misfire. Last week on True Bobcast, I had mentioned that I had hoped that you know the Crow Man was associated with some sort of mythical creature or some sort of, you know... Yellow King reference, and there was none of that. It turns out that the kid from the movie set was some brother of some sister from this jewel heist years ago with Casper and a whole bunch of illegitimate father figures. It, way too much subplots. Fellas, let's start with Isaac first. Actually, you know, Isaac, when we first started Pocket Dial, we told you about True Detective and True Bobcast. So you actually watched all of season one and then picked up with season two as it was airing, correct? Yeah, I was really in, you know, I started watching season two uh, off of your, your, both your recommendation, and uh, I, I think it was in between season uh, five and six, I mean, episode five and six, I I was loving it, and I had to watch all of season one that week, because I just couldn't wait. And when you watched all of season one... How did you like? What? How? How did you feel when you were watching it? Like, like looking back at it you now, it's been a year for binge, Mickey and I. Binge watching season one put me in a crazy place that week. That was a strange week. <laughs> it makes you feel strange, right? It makes you feel like you're actually part of the show. Now, season two, Mick. I mean, you texted me last night after the finale. You know, I didn't even. Usually, we text each other immediately after. It was like about two hours later. And you wrote yeah, to me, I watched it the next day. You said to me, Mickey, you were like, did you see that? I mean, obviously we both felt the same way. Um, as the credits closed last night, what were your thoughts, Mickey? Yeah, I mean, I actually texted you that, uh, yeah, so True Detective, that happened. Uh, I, I feel exactly how you did, man. The anger associated with the final viewing just would not let up. Uh, I kept getting more and more angry, and afterwards I did feel very angry for the rest of the night. Every little thing was just annoying me, and I, I just didn't like it. It felt like the whole show was a torture. Like, it was like a torture for the viewers, and I just don't get it, man. I mean, some of it was entertaining, and, like, some of it wasn't, but overall, what what the hell? Uh, I do want to say that perhaps, maybe, since Laura was the uh, illegitimate child of Tony Chisani, that had a brother, Eric, or uh, what's his name, Lenny? May have also been the son of Chisani, so my uh, prediction for last weekend might be true, might not be true. 
it's still up in the air, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, there's so many subplots, and there's a thing. Uh, I think the New York Times did a video. They went in the Central Park this weekend, and they told people, or they asked people, excuse me, can you explain to us the plot of True Detective season two? And everyone starts off with, well, um, and then it just goes through a whole bunch of people just not being able to tell the viewers anything about the show. Now, here on the True Bobcast, we've tried to decipher all the plot points of what Pizzolatto is looking at. Uh, I feel as if maybe the, his answer in the final moments of Season 2, Episode 8, with you know the Thelma and Louise-esque ending was an answer to all the critics last year saying that you know there was no strong female character leads and you know it was just a male dominated Woody Harrelson Matthew McConaughey you know event like dynasty so i mean what started at the beginning of the episode i mean yeah frank frank is you know ready to just you know exact revenge and it just it felt flat it felt like it wasn't even an episode it felt like it was a subplot to a subplot an episode to an episode Isaac what stood out for you in the episode what what things did you like of this episode or of the season let's talk about this episode the finale was there any parts of it that I, stood out to you I liked basically nothing of the of the last episode <laughs> I liked the I liked where it was going and I didn't like where it went. And there was a point where, you know, I liked all the money. Like, I feel, I like seeing all that money. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a true gangster, so I like seeing, like, piles of money. And, um, but then it all, like, went away. Yeah, you texted me today and you said you're a fan of seeing the good guys get away with the money. Not the other way around. Now, True Detective Season 1, if you're listening to this and you have never seen any of these shows, spoiler alert, get a life, go ahead back watching HBO On Demand. But um, in season one, you know, I, for a moment there in the finale, it seemed as if Rust and Cole were both going to die in that cave. But no, that's not the case. They had a talk underneath the stars, and they smoked some camel lights, and they walked hand in hand through the parking lot. Not the case for our two main male characters this year in season two. They both met their demise. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Frank's Frank's death scene in the in the desert. Did anybody when you were watching did anybody else think about Walter White Breaking Bad like you know the scene where you know uh, Hank gets killed like they bring him out there and like for real like they were going to walk away from you Frank. You were going to give him a million dollars. You still had the jewels in your pocket. You you couldn't lose the suit jacket. I mean for Christ's sake it's the desert. It had to be hot out there. <laughs> Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, know, you bring up a good point. The uh the, the, the thing is, it didn't remind me of Breaking Bad, but it just was a bunch of just fooling, man. It was just sloppy, man. Pizzolatto, you need Fukunawa back in your mix, bro. Yeah, you really do. You and he need to get back to the 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 mythical, like you know, monster. You know, I mean, at the end of um, season one, you know, episode eight begins with us from the POV of you know our monster, our our serial serial killer. We see the house that he's in. We see how he talks in different accents, and we, we get into the mind of the killer. And this, to me, was just a huge disappointment. The scene with Colin Farrell with the kid in the airport, it, it just felt like something that should have been cut. It didn't have any substance. It didn't have anything. And then like he's like, well, let me talk to this chief of former... It was just bullshit, really. I was just like so disappointed. And as a screenplay writer, you know, like constantly as a writer, you have to go back and revise stuff. I, I think that Nick Pizzolatto needed a story editor. Yeah, I don't think that they 
story, and it, it felt like they just winged it as far as tying it down. Like, it didn't seem like they had it mapped out from the beginning as far as writing. It felt like they got the last episode and just, okay, just, like, make up another episode, you know, off the top of their head. Like, it, I felt like the last episode had nothing to do with the... With the the other seven episodes, yeah, it felt it just it just felt disconjointed, you know, and I mean, so many things were thrown at us, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, the connection between Velcoro and Bezarides in the beginning, they had this whole montage of them laying in bed confessing all of their sins or all of the things of the past that have disturbed them. And then did anybody? I mean, we just did that Terminator gig. Did anybody else feel like the ending was kind of like the Terminator with her carrying Velcoro's son? Like the future, like, you know, Ray Velcoro of the world, a.k.a. John Connor, who's going to save us all from Skynet. Did I didn't see that because I never got my free ticket. That's true, that's true, that's true. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but we're working it out. But, um, so, so like, um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I felt like, okay, so so the one thing that, that I guess was a shock, but it really didn't have any levity, was Velcoro's um, ex-wife getting the paternity test back, 99.1%. It's Ray Velcoros. All that bullshit, all that banter, all that... That part was the worst. Oh, God. I mean, two kids he's got now out there. He's got the ginger kid with the, the shield, excuse me, um, you know, the badge out on the playground, and they salute each other, which ultimately gets Velcoro killed. He already said goodbye to the kid out there when he gave him the thing, but you know what I mean? I, I just, I felt like that scene was unnecessary, and I really wish that Velcoro had gotten away. I mean, Bezzarini's got away, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't know, I just, I just didn't feel like the right ending to me at all. The whole episode... Yo, you know what? I, yo, how about this angle? Listen, it's like, we're sitting here bashing the hell out of it. And it's like, if you think about listening to what we're saying, it's like, we just straight up don't give a damn about the women and children, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. I, yeah, I, I, I cared about Bezzarides. I, I cared about Bezzarides, but on the True Bobcast, I was always saying it was Velcoro's story. And then as it came to an end, it, it didn't feel like Velcoro's story. It didn't feel like anything, really. I mean, I, I just don't know how to explain it. I mean, Frank coming to the house, Frank seeing the dead body in the pool, like, it just didn't... It was That scene falls flat. I would rather have seen Ray come there, take that guy out. You know what I mean? Like he did. There was a scene where they, you know, had the raid on the cabin with all the gunfire and stuff, and he exacted re revenge on Osip. But like, I don't know, man. Just have the good guys win. You know what I mean? Like that's what we want to see. We don't want to see death staring up at, you know, some redwood tree in the forest. Like, and then and then the other thing too, which is bizarre to me, especially as a podcaster, because sometimes I can't use my microphone. I have to use my phone to audio record things and email them to myself and there's been numerous occasions where I've recorded maybe 40 minutes of a Bobcast and tried to email it to myself and it didn't come through. Velcoro is trying to email the gingerbread man out there in the woods and Pizzolatto feels the need to pan the camera back to show us that he was unable to reach him at his Gmail address, which I hope somebody out there in the Bobcast universe has emailed to see if it actually is the gingerbread Velcoro. Some great content you're laying, man. And uh, look, I gotta say also, I think the air date of summer for this show was way off the mark as well. I mean, this was a cold-blooded show, man. This is true LA noir. It's dark. It's gritty. It's heartless. It's cool, cold. Obviously not comma collected. It's a mess. But it should have been all in the winter, man. Like it might have been a little better. 
I hear what you're saying. Yeah, like the dark, cold grittiness of it. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the tagline of the show was "We get the world we deserve." So, I mean, ultimately, do you feel as if Velcro and Ray, excuse me, Velcro and Frank, got the world they deserved? That's what they were implying. Yeah, you're right. Like but, they they had to pay for what they did. And uh, what's her name? She was innocent, so she got away. She didn't have to pay for anything bad that she did. She never did anything bad. No, yeah, she never, she never did anything bad that we know of. I mean, she finally came to, to terms with, you know, the man in the woods with the unicorn and stuff. So that is a good point, Isaac, here on the true, true, true. But, yeah, for me, I mean, like, all day I've been reading, like, on Twitter and stuff, you know, all the disappointments, all the... Some people say that, it, you know, it's a cult hit that will live on for years, but a lot of people say, you know, obviously... All good press, bad press is good press, right? So people are still talking about it. I imagine Pizzolatto is crafting something for season three. Um, but, you know, it, it just didn't... I mean, like, really, if you look at Woodrow, I mean, Woodrow, he he never was true to himself. He was in the closet. He never came out as to who he really was. He got the world he deserved, I guess, by being killed by straight... Uh, I don't even know... What's that guy's name that I... Detective Buzzerides! What's that guy's name? <laughs> Oh, I hated that scene because yeah. of how far fetched it was that he came out of some that some crazy situation that he happened to get out of, walked out of a random door out of this like underground um uh you know, like tunnel system, walks out of a random door and that's the door that this guy's waiting on, but it was just such a far fetched set of events that got him out of that door. It wasn't like he walked walking out of his, his uh his front door at his house or his work and someone waiting to shoot him. It was like, yeah, that bothered that me. guy there? That bothered me. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, one of the first scenes when they're training the detectives or people who work in the FBI, she walks into a room, she doesn't check the corner. Someone puts a fake gun to her head, pulls the clip, always check the corners, rookie. I mean, Paul Woodrow, the guy who takes out six people in the in the tunnels, doesn't the check God that warrior. corner? The God warrior. I, but I, that guy I, that was waiting for him was unrelated to the events of the of the fact that he had, was in that situation in the first place, right? Yeah. That was Holloway's boy. That was Detective Holloway's boy. Ah, uh, okay. So he was part of that. But yeah, oh, that, that, that oh no, the there had to be at least in the history of TV, though. Uh, Holloway, he had the worst hair I've ever seen. You know, hands down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, what do you call that? Like the the beret? The uh, he goes in the barber, give me the beret. Give like, me the cloth. What is that look? I don't give know. Give me a beanbag chair on my head. Yeah, and then, like, the whole, like, we find out that, uh, I guess, you know, Frank has owned the club with the, they only have one act, that one girl that sings every night. Sometimes she's oh, playing her guitar. Her, with a band. She was great. She was great. But, like, um. Laura, Laura, Laura Lynn, is that her name? I believe Laura so. Laura yeah. Lynn? Yeah. Best thing about the season was her, for, in my eyes. You know, it would have been the best if she was the crow man. True, true, true. <laughs> was it a crow? Was it a vulture? I don't was it know. A I don't know. I don't know. I just felt, know. I felt so cheated. You know what I mean? I felt that as if, okay, like, so, like, this guy this guy puts um, Casper in the car, takes out his eyelids, and decides to drive him up and down the L.A. coast. Like, come on. Like, no. No. Like, I, uh. The diamonds too. Every time I heard the diamonds, I kept going back in my mind to uh, I think it was the first Jackass movie where Johnny Knoxville and Bam pull the prank on people like they're burglars and they come through the ceiling and Bam, Bam screaming the diamonds, the diamonds. Like I was so sick and tired of hearing about diamonds, man. Like, like I don't even know where the diamonds came from, dude. 
I don't know either. I gotta go. I, I, do I even want to go back? No. I usually on True Bombcast each week I would at least watch the episode twice so that way I'd have a better hang on. I've only seen it once, uh, se- season two, episode eight last night. I don't think I can go back for a little bit. Uh, it just had these moments of. I mean, I think my favorite part though was um, when Frank's wife, when he tries to tell her, you know, you mean nothing to me. First off, too, you're gonna throw a diamond out in the street and let it roll around and not go out and get it. You know what I mean? Like my my the wife diamonds, was like, the, the diamonds, the diamonds. My wife was watching it with me last night, and she we both looked at each other like, yeah, I, I'd go out there and get that ring right now instead of sitting down. But she does have the that diamonds. one line where she says to him, um, "What'd she say? Like you're not a good actor or something like that?" Because you know Vince Vaughn, it really it seemed like he was just reading the scripts, like someone had cue cards at points. You know, she was a pretty bad actor. She's a pretty bad actor. It was it was interesting that Frank literally never left anything of their relationship hidden though. He would tell her everything. When he killed Blake, he invited her in. He's like, "Well, this is where we are now." It's like, "What the <laughs> jeez?" I don't know. Vince Vaughn, I, I love you, man. I love you, but like something there in the end just I it's, I felt like you you found your character and then you kind of dropped out towards the ending. It just I don't know. It's a huge disappointment. Well, the bullet in a little bitch at the end. He got all wiped out. He did, he did, he did, yeah, he did. Well, I mean, his arc was he was trying to become a better man, but, I mean, the scene, though, where he where he goes back to the school, I, I, I don't know. I mean, think of all the different things he could have done, right? So, like, okay, you got a tail on your car, people are following you, you, you take, you go to, like, the woods where you know you're going to be executed. Like, I don't, like, what would you guys have done? If you knew there was a tail and they would have taken you back to your loved one, would you have gone off into the woods? No, I would probably would have, like, you know, tried to fight them on the highway or something. I, I just, I just I felt like I that was... I would have pulled over, I would have crashed, I would have parked in front of that cop car that he passed by and been like, yo, arrest me. Yeah, I'm fucking yeah. Belfour. I, I would have got out the car and called an Uber. The diamonds, the diamonds, the diamonds. Yeah, I mean, like, anything <laughs> but that. Like, hey, let's... Let's travel up, you know, Route 101 and get into the woods. I guess it, to them that was, like, Angeles Crest out there in Los Angeles, but I mean, like, come on, man, like, and then the other thing, too, okay, like, here's a plot hole that just bothers me, Bezzarides finally gets the testimony from, I guess, the sister, you know, they roll up in there, and, like, Velcoro's like, yo, stay with her, watch her, and then the next scene, she's putting her eyewitness on a bus, saying, go ahead, you don't need this, like, what was that, what was that all about? So many plot points, but I guarantee this would have been better as a novel. It would have been a really cheesy novel, really corny novel, but I guarantee it would have been better as a novel because yeah. you might be able to remember the name Piltor or Tilt, whatever his name was. The the Rick Springfield doctor split his wrist, and uh, you would have remembered Holloway, uh, Bettis, or whatever. You would have remembered the names. You'd see them more often. You'd get them in your head. Yeah, there's and, too many uh, people. Oh, place, we, we had we had two scenes with Tony Cezanne. He was in the beginning sequence where he was using the fake accent. Then we see him at the end of the episode, the finale, when he's shaking hands. And this club guy who's wearing you know a leotard is becoming the new mayor. Like, come on, like yeah, what was that? That's that's like, they that. They played it like he was the main villain the whole time, and he was barely in the whole thing. I know. So that was uneven. You know what I mean? Like uh, I remember yeah, like reading Tony, about True Tony. Detective um, season two about a year ago. 
and they were saying that the whole premises revolves around the California transportation system. In my mind, I was thinking, you know, maybe this is about the origin of like the the frontier frontierism and like you know the gold rush and like all these old types of like families who had like you know planted themselves along like this route or something. Literally, the train had nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? I kept thinking of the movie Singles with the super train and like it. It just, oh, man, I was just. It didn't. It didn't add up. And like once I got to the point of like what sixty five minutes in, and I realized there's nowhere left to go. I, I, it was like a big black void left behind. And all I can hear in my mind was the diamonds, the diamonds, 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 diamonds. Just exasperated. Marty. Marty. Yo, speaking of speaking of, speaking of big black holes, what was up with that gang that started taunting uh, Frank in the desert? Where did they come from? That's the Mexicans, dude. That's the ones that no, he no, said. No, 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 no. When he was walking out. Oh, the that's desert, that's the him. Gang that started. <clears throat> that's that no, was that's like, like okay. That so, was like his childhood. Okay, so in screenplay writing, they call that breaking the third wall, where you go into like a different realm, almost like a fantasy, and you're seeing what the character is feeling or experiencing. So yeah, he sees his father who insults him, calls him a you know a whole bunch of names, and then you see that gang. Um, maybe that gang that did something so to Frank. Corny, yeah, that was like to me too. Like the fact so that you show corny. you show Frank's dad then, but easily with all that narrative in the beginning with the water stains on the wall, we did meet Velcro's father. Why didn't we ever meet Frank's father? So when that guy pops up, I, I felt like I was watching like The Tempest or something, like some sort of Shakespearean play of you know a man like you know the endless walk towards like you know oblivion. It's just oh god, dude. And then there she is, the chick in the white dress, and Frank's already dead, and we're going to straight ghost like theatrics. It just, ugh. I mean, if to follow that death scene up too by Velcro's death scene, totally weak. But Pizzolatto, I guess we get the world we deserve. Look, I think it, I think it was perfect in its darkness. I think it was perfect in its dramatic mood. I think it was perfect in its uh, annoying. Depression, depressive or depressing uh, ways, you know, but honestly, man, who wants to see that? Who wants to watch that? Uh, probably people like us, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I mean, like, what type of audience is True Detective Command? I guess people who are looking for, I guess, an escape, I mean, that's why we got into it so heavy last year, and, um, you know, I want to thank, I guess, the True Bobcast listeners for tuning in each week, sticking with us uh, through this odyssey, through... <laughs> Pizzolatto's mind and yeah I, I just hope that you know we can recoup and come back strong in season three I mean there's there's a couple shows in HBO that did that I mean True Blood another true show there were certain seasons that were absolute dog shit compared to the others because the writers would switch but Pizzolatto is the sole writer on this but I really do think that the you are correct Mick that we need a, a solid director like Fukudaya to come back and show us you know a consistent theme Isaac, did you, the fact that you watched True Detective Season 1 and Season 2 almost back-to-back within the same time period of a month, I mean, how would you describe Season 1 compared to Season 2? You know, we talked about this before, like how a lot of people were talking. I loved Season 2 as it was going on, like, the whole time, but... Well, me too, but, definitely, uh, definitely. America seemed, to, America seemed to, you know, be giving it a hard time the whole time. Um, from what I was seeing online and whatnot, and we were and and we all seemed to like it, and we were saying, you know what, the first season was a lot more psychological 
whereas the second season was more like character development. A lot and of character I thought, development, yeah. I thought that that's basically what it was, but they tried to develop too many characters. And at the, at the end, they tried to make us care about characters that we didn't care about. Yeah, like, just so too they much. had all these dramatic, dramatic endings for all these care about characters, but no one really cared about it at all. And and so I think it was more of a character development type story, but it did not like where it went in the last episode. I liked everything up to the last episode. Yeah, me. You know, yeah. I, I was talking to somebody. Um, uh, a well, the first this season has, the first season has an amazing last episode. Oh, it's amazing! Oh, the best. Totally rewatchable. And how important is last episode? So important. Yeah, season one, the the last episode, I mean, it ties it all together. It has a brilliant ending. Yeah, we thought that they were both going to die. They didn't. And, you know, that last scene with, you know, uh, Rust coming to grips with reality, darkness, and light, you know, it, it was beautiful as compared to this. This, I, I couldn't, I got up. I, I got off the couch and I just walked into another room. And I was just like, you know what, I, I got to decompress from this. Um, it's like, it's like, you know, acing all your uh, quizzes all, all semester and then failing the final exam. <laughs> your insight. That's good. <laughs> That's straight. <laughs> Does anybody else feel as if the whole season two was told from Bezzaridi's point of view to that? Okay, so remember the last uh, scene where she's oh, in the room? Oh, yeah, you're right. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I think that, like, she's telling the story almost... Like, I just watched Interview with the Vampire, and Interview with the Vampire is kind of similar, where the vampire tells the reporter everything, and then the final scene, Louis comes back, and, you know, he, he's, like, reborn. But Bezzaridis, okay, so online, someone says... Someone said that, uh, okay, the person with the ponytail that she was telling all this stuff to, and maybe one of you guys know this, because I didn't pinpoint and, and see if it's true. That's the guy from, uh, I guess, episode... One when Velcoro goes to his yeah. apartment, beats him up. Yeah, the times that was the guy. I okay, read that. okay, okay, that is him then. Okay, so that makes sense, right? Yeah. But there was a lot of like, yeah. even, like there's like you know after she gives him the information, she's walking away with Frank's girl in slow motion. There was too much slow motion too. How about like okay after you know the kid kills the you know the dude with the bad haircut in the airport. You know, Bezzarides and Velcoro are running away in glorious slow time motion. I'm like, why? Why are they doing this? Plus, there's cops everywhere. You think they're not going to notice Velcoro in a cowboy hat? Come on, man. Yeah. You know. You know what's you know what's funny? I just thought about you know in that in that second to last scene when when she's finishing up the story and she's like, don't leave this room and and uh, go over all these papers I have laid out on the table of all the evidence. That guy, the reporter, I guess, looks at all that paper, just like uh, everyone else was looked at the whole story. They're like, he was like, I'm not putting all that together. <laughs> yeah, right? It's too much. <laughs> I'm it, was not like messy, it was like messy piles. The diamonds. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, look, here's, here's, here's one more criticism I have. And uh, if you look at the storyboard or the layout of all the episodes from this season compared to the last season, it's all the same, dude. He wrote the same. He fills in the blanks with different bullshit. You mean the story beats? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you I mean, know what I mean? It is, it's, it's the like same lazy. structure. Well, I mean, every single screenplay has. Uh, I mean, television shows can be a little bit different, but you know, most scripts have three act structures. You know what I mean? And yeah, I, I picked up on a little bit of that too. You know, but at the same time, wouldn't you fill it in with beats that are better than the first season? You know what I mean? Like make. 
Make it yeah. more, you know what I mean? Make it dark. You know what I mean? How many times do we see that yellow, excuse me, that black invitation with the yellow mountains? And how many times in my mind am I thinking, oh, my God, please make this something to do with a far-outreaching crime syndicate of people who enjoy maybe sex orgies, maybe enjoy, you know, having these, like, ritualistic things. Like, tie it together, man. Make it, make it conducive. Some people have said to me, like, well, that wouldn't be fun, Bob, because that's, you know, season one. I'm like, well, why not? We talked about on True Bombcast having, you know, you know, Marty call into the, you know, you wouldn't even have to hear Marty's voice. Just somebody saying, oh, that was Detective Hart. You know, like something just to give me some interest, man. Like Velcro's story I really enjoyed, but I felt like it kept going to the same beats over and over again. The kid, the kid, the kid, the kid. And then Bezzarides has his kid. Like that's like double, you, you've rewritten the same scene essentially twice. No, no, that was, whose kid was that? Bezzarides. I think Bezzarides. That's Velcro's second kid. Yeah, that's Vel- that's Vel- uh, that's what I was saying uh, with the Terminator yeah, 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 yeah. reference. In Terminator, uh, Sarah Connor has intercourse with <laughs> Kyle Reese. They father a child and uh, excuse me, conceive a child, and then um, you know he grows up to be you know the leader of the free world. Perhaps Bezzarides' child is uh, maybe a character later in the True Detective anthology canon. Before um, you know, we wrap things up here on the final episode of True. 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 Bombcast. Let's go uh, with Mick, and then we'll go to Isaac. Mickey, final thoughts on this year's True Detective and predictions for season three. Final thoughts are that it was impossible to live up to the first season, and like I've already been hinting at, I do think the second season was, uh, you know, just as perfect, but from a different angle. Uh, unfortunately, no one liked that angle and suffered because of it, um, but. You know, maybe I'll watch it again. Maybe I won't. I kind of doubt it. Had some fun. What the heck was the point of Woodruff's character? Like, what was up with this, dude? Like, why was it a big deal? Why that guy have to be like, you know, he was gay, right? Or whatever he said. Like, dude, like, who still thinks like that? And what would that mean to Velcro? I just thought it was a waste of time. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Overall, Laura Lynn was my favorite part about everything. And their songs are amazing. And if you're listening, girl, you should totally get down with Pocket Dial and put out some fresh bubble wrap pop. Isaac. <laughs> Isaac, your uh, thoughts. Hold on, whoa, 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 hold on there. Sorry to be rude. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Pre- yeah, your, your, your predictions. My, look, I'm, I'm going to go hard. And my predictions are season, for season three are not renewed. You think they won't bring it back after all this social social media the attention and stuff like that, of course they're going to bring it back. They may want to redevelop it quite a bit, but and give it a story editor, but I do believe that it will be back. I'm not ashamed to be wrong. You have been right here I'm on well. the... <laughs> Isaac, your final thoughts. I, I'll, I'll just say two things. The second season was like Alanis Morissette's second CD. First day when I saw the masterpiece. Everyone wanted to like the second one. I think it had one good song, and then everyone forgot about it forever. So it was just like that second album for a band that just can't make it like the first one. And uh, I don't know if you guys... I saw this one post online, and it said, uh, season, True Detective Season 3, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey come back to find out what the hell happened in Season 2. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I, I love thought it. that was funny. Yeah, a whole season developed towards just Marty and Rust sitting in a room drinking whiskey and having some beers. I'd watch that for eight hours straight. Watching True Detective season two, they're like, 
<laughs> so yeah, my final thoughts. I mean, yeah, I stuck with uh, True Detective for the eight weeks that it was on. Uh, there was a lot of high water moments, watershed moments for me, you know, where we tried to dive deep into this case and really tear it apart. My predictions did not come true, but that's part of living in a fictional world and enjoying television or a book, comic book, music, whatever. Season three, yeah, let's just get, take it right back to the, you know, let's get back into the dark, gritty you know, just scary stuff. That's what I like so much about True Detective Season 1. In my backyard right now, I still have one of those devil's nests flying in my tree. Because that, to me, was, you know, the pinnacle of success. And as you know, yeah, you can have a sophomore slump, as Isaac said, but you can rise to the top with your third effort. Um, fellas, it's been a really great time having you here on the True, 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 Bobcast. Uh, real quick before we leave, just give a quick pocket dial update we just did a show on friday night it was quite an occasion we also did that comic book gig the following or excuse me last week up there at the uncanny store we have more shows coming this fall uh check out www.pocketdialstyle.com fellas you know as you walk into the darkness tonight or you lay your head down the pillow just remember one thing or actually you know what don't remember one thing just ask yourself something are you being to yourself my name's bob isaac thank you mickey thank you for being guests here on the true bobcast uh we'll be back next year for uh, hopefully another segment another installation if you will of our minds into the world of nick pizzolato's dark dark sinister thoughts come back next week for a regular old episode of bobcast we'll have a few surprises in store for you my name's Bob. This has been another episode of True, True, True Bobcast. The diamonds, 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 the diamonds. The diamonds.